Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the show. David Scales here, your host of Surf Splendor, reeling from the Fiji Pro. Um, I'm bringing you this episode a little bit early, actually. Um, We're scheduled to publish next week. I'm actually going to be out of town all next week, far, far away from any ocean. And um, so I wanted to make sure that I connected with Scott in advance and uh, that we could just recap this unbelievable event that just took place, the Fiji Pro for the men's division. Wow. The waves were unreal. The lay days were painful. I think there was eight total lay days, and um, it was excruciating to just wait on pins and needles, but the swell really delivered, and uh, hopefully you got to see all of that. And If you did, this uh, episode will definitely make a lot more sense, and if you didn't, well, no need to watch it. We will cover it all here. So I hope that you enjoy the show. If you want to see any of the videos that we're discussing in this show, Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can find it there, and then you can continue or chime in on this conversation in the comments section on that on our website. Check that out, and then on social media at Surf Splendor. All right? And that's it. Enjoy the show. I'll toss to Scott and I, and then I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody, at Down the Line Surf Talk Radio. I'm your host, Scott Bass, along with David Lee Scales. We have another show for you on this Monday, the day after the Fiji Pro 2016 at Cloudbreak. David, welcome. Thank you, Scott. Glad to be here. But today is Friday. Not oh, it is? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, so you, gotta, so you have a whole weekend ahead of you to be excited about. I know. I thought yesterday was Sunday for some reason. Crazy, so. man. Must be nice to live in that world. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting in an office yesterday, so I knew it wasn't Sunday. I called... Uh, or wait, so yeah, it's Friday, June 17th. It is. Okay. At the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, by the way, surfingheritage.org, the Smithsonian of surfing, as we like to refer to it. I don't know. Do they actually refer to it as that? If they don't, they should. They really should. And I think they do sort of within these doors. I don't know if you're allowed to officially put the Smithsonian name on your museum without uh, approval from DC, but... Uh, you and I can do it for them. Yeah, we'll keep the feds at bay and just say, yeah, it's the Smithsonian of surfing. It's a deserving title, no matter what. Well, hey, uh, so we normally record early in the week, and we're supposed to record next week. I'm going to be out of town next week, and uh, we need to talk Fiji Pro. I mean, it was an unreal event, so that's why we're doing the show early. Yeah, and a couple things. I've secured Dave Proden to be with us from the AS, or from the WSL. So Dave Proden will be here on our next show, which I had scheduled for. Let me look at my calendar here. June 28th, Tuesday, June 28th. Okay. Um, which is a, like two weeks from today, more or less. Uh, right? Yeah, let me just More like check. 10 days or something. Anyway. I, I'm here. Our next show, June 28th. Done. After today will be June 28th with Dave Proden from the WSL. Perfect. Um, so much to discuss with Dave. I know. That we've, I mean, that we've Hopefully, basically... <laughs> that, my concern with Dave is that we're just not going to get anything out of him. He's just going to like come in here with a bunch of company lines, you know, like yeah. the... And, you know, quite frankly, I'm, that's kind of what he has to do. But we'll do our best to squeeze as much info. What we'll do is when we ask him a question and he gives us just the standard WSL company line, we'll read his face and determine what he's really trying to say to us. And then we'll, we'll, let, we'll uh, 
Say goodbye to him at some point in the show, and then you and I can have real talk. No, no, we'll Be talk like, with hey, him dude, real, <laughs> with him in front of us. Here's what his face looked like when we asked that right question. Right now, he's saying this, but I believe what he means is this. That's yeah. how it's going to go down. I've got some emails. Yep, let's hear it. Dude, I can't believe you're a Bigfoot believer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know many other surfers in the San Diego area that are. I shape a board, and I've named it the Squatch due to its 23-inch width. Keep it squatchy, bro. You from that's from my friend TJ Pope who sent us an email. Oh yeah, I remember TJ. Another one, Scott. Great pod. You and David are on fire. Great content and discussions. Keep it up, Aloha, Mike. And then this, one more dope slap for Scott. Yeah, I like this one. <laughs> wow. Antipodes is purely a geographic reference. I don't think it can be used to describe personal differences slash distances. Although it is physically possible that Warshaw and Spicoli could be surfing Corona and in Christchurch at the same time. That's if Spicoli wasn't an archetype. The word Scott should have reached for is antithesis. This would be far better usage as two people being diametrically opposed, i.e. Warshaw and Spicoli. But more importantly, we should learn to use amphidromic point. And when you understand this, explain it to me, please. Amphidromic points are effectively zero amplitude locations that tides flow around. And the further your beaches from these points on Earth, the greater the tidal flow is. And that's from Chris Johnson, who I believe is somewhere in New Zealand. You know what's Chris has emailed me before, and I've actually replied to his emails, but they get bounced back for some reason. So I've never been able to engage with him. So Chris, if you're listening to this, I'm not ignoring you. I've tried. Um, but I got that email from him as well, and I wondered the Antipodes thing. Prior to getting that email, I had already thought more about it, and I said like, oh, yeah, anti means opposite. And you're like, duh. And I'm like, what does the petties part mean? It's well, like a point. And it's like a node. Well, or what I was thinking is um, we're bipeds. It's P O D E S, by the way. Oh, okay. I think I thought P -O it was coming from ped, P like P pedestrian. Yeah. You no. know, so like the, it sounds the opposite like of where you're walking because that's how you defined it. You're and like, it's the exact opposite of where you stand today. I'm like, like oh, no, yeah, but answer. geographically, didn't right. I say it's like the axis point? If you were to put a point through the earth, the opposite yeah. end of the earth. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I assume that Chris knows what he's talking about and that his definition is the correct one. But Apparently I did not use he the does. He's from New Internet. Zealand. They know everything. Well, he is at the antipodes of where we stand today. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I didn't verify it via the magic. Well, here's Google. the deal. And I emailed Chris. The way it was – I was at a dinner with a very smart friend of mine, a doctor. And he goes – they were in the New York Times. They were referring to two basketball players and they were two extremely opposite players. Basketball players, much in the way Warsaw and Spicoli are different. Um, Warsaw, Matt Warsaw, and Jeff Spicoli. And so the New York Times used the term antipodes. And we thought, hey, let's, we learned about the word. And it was an odd way that the writer in the New York Times used the word that he sure. would, you know. Um, and then I told my wife, I go, Chris Johnson thinks I should have used the word an antithesis. And she goes, no, an antithesis is antithesis. It's, that doesn't make sense for two opposite personalities those are anti-ideas right mm. anyway live and learn as i wrote to chris one word at a time we're just trying to uh to make the world better one word at a time through uh, a larger vocabulary appreciate the email though absolutely i got one regarding grammar um uh-oh 
I can tell it's going to – it's an attack on Scott. I've been slapped already this morning. <laughs> so this one came from KM. He said, I'm an avid listener. Thanks for the great podcast. Uh, I've also wondered about Potter's use of the word literally, which you and I have mentioned on this show multiple times. And I did a little research into what others think about it. There's a lot of online angst over the improper use of the word. To my surprise, it appears that when literally is used for emphasis or as an intensifier, it can properly be used to mean figuratively. I call bullshit on that. I wonder if the word is undergoing a type of semantic change that happens over time in every language. Consider the fact that the, world ter- that the word terrific stems from the same root word that means terrible and awful originally derived from the term awe-inspiring. Perhaps it is a cultural thing, too. Potter was born in the UK, lived in South Africa for much of his life, and I believe now lives in Australia. However, the frequency in which Potter uses the word combined with the way that he pronounces it is definitely jarring, begging the question as to whether or not he actually knows the real meaning. And then he sent me a couple of reference links. Um, I agree with, you know, KCM is how he signed his email, uh, or she, but... I'm angry about it. Like if you're, if I'm not going to give in to the, like, because a bunch of people have misused a word essentially is what's happened. They've misused it. It's not like people decided we're going to change the meaning of this. It's under-informed people misusing the word. And then we all dumb down to the lowest common denominator. Screw that. No, I'm taking a stand. They think we are Kanye West. Exactly. Jeez Louise. How about use the language correctly? Totally. We need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And uh, that's what we are doing on you this know, we've podcast. Set our, we've set ourselves up for the remainder of this podcast <laughs> to like really tiptoe around words and stuff. Now I'm all paranoid. We, I'm just going to use the most basic language that I know. Well, let's to just make throw sure. a caveat out there that says, look, oh. I guarantee you that we are going to step on ourselves during this next we, hour. Every single week or every time we record this show, it gets worse we are worse. in a glass house throwing <laughs> yes. boulders down. That might be the new name of our uh, podcast. The Glass House The podcast. Glass House. Throwing boulders and not seeing them come at us. Let's start slinging, dude. All right, let's. Um, The Fiji Pro. Uh, The final might have been the worst final ever as far as considering how perfect the waves were and how little really good surfing went down. Um, Look, congratulations to Gabe Medina. Speaking of throwing stones. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's why I did that. That's why I did that. Let's just go right there. I don't think he would agree with me that those big washers, it's sort of, you know, to me, I was like, why aren't they just going outside and sitting outside and catching the big waves? And of course, the answer is, well, they want to sit on that ledge and get tubed instead. And I started thinking about Sunset Beach. I always go, God, why aren't they sitting outside riding bombs the way they used to at Sunset on 11-foot guns? And it's because they all want to sit on the inside ledge and get tubed because the judges are going to score the tube bigger, better. And then I thought, well, you know... In my day, long time ago, when yeah. I used to put on a jersey, yeah. it was about the biggest wave. Like that was the, I think the very first thing in the judging criteria was yeah. the surfer that can catch the largest wave. It wasn't the surfer that can get, but it, you know, look, getting tubed, is there anything better than getting tubed? Yeah. I don't think riding a larger wave is necessarily better, but at certain spots, and by the way, it could also be argued, I saw, and you did too, I'm sure. Waves on that second ledge that you could have pulled in from takeoff and gotten tubed out there. Yeah. They were more like top tubes yeah. a little bit, not as round and square and insane. But they were they had that almondy kind of top tube to them where you could have gotten tubed out there and then ridden sort of a mush ball through to the channel, you know? Yeah, well, it's not critical. That's the problem. Yeah, so, like, the waves out back are bigger, but nobody's afraid to go. Like, I'll take off on one of those. Right. Like, nobody's afraid of that. And also, it takes no talent or ability to really ride those. Yeah. Anybody can do it. So... 
The crucial moments are on that ledge. You want critical surfing and challenging surfing that's going to showcase talent and ability, and that's on the that ledging barrel. But regarding Sunset Beach, I would argue that it is critical out Definitely. on that west peak when it's totally. 12 to 15 feet, and those guys are sitting inside of it waiting for the roll through. Totally different example. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, regarding the final, it was Wilco and Gabe Medina. Uh, they found themselves in the final together. I'm going to offer something. If I mean, Matt Wilkinson, okay, the guy's having the best year of his life, a banner year. I mean, this is a, a – to be in three finals this early on, to win two events and to be in a third final is something that even guys who win the world title don't do, you know? So this is unbelievable for him. I'm going to throw some stones right now and offer if title – if Wilco wins a world title this year. Is it not the most haphazardly won world title? Like he made it to this final with heat scores of in the final 6.34 in the semis, 13.33 in the quarters, 14.63 in round three, 13.39. Like his surfing was so not exciting throughout the event. He looked more surprised than anybody if he makes a barrel. And to be honest, when he's won contests, he seems more more surprised than anybody. Like he he's shocked by his own performance, just like we are. Well, I would ask you this: Did he seem like the second best surfer in that heck event? No, yeah. he didn't seem like the fifth best, the sixth best, the seventh best. Like none of there was one or two waves he got that I thought, well, that was a sick wave, but it's not on the highlight reel. Like yeah. there's many many others that right. go on the highlight. So Wilco. Like his backside surfing where he won the previous events, I think, or obviously Snapper and I think Bells was the other, is gnarly. And we we actually like applauded it when that happened on this show. But it still looks kind of haphazard. Like he's – it still looks like he's barely pulling – recovering or like a, making last-minute adjustments, slamming it. He's shocked that he made it. He's shocked when he finishes the wave. Whereas Gabriel, <laughs> Gabriel Medina, on the other hand – Never looks anything less than confident, you know? Wilco looks like a competitor in the Stone Steps event where he just chugged a resin bucket full of beer after before each heat, a you know? used resin yeah, he's bucket. Like, yeah, look at that hot chick. Give me a smoke. Give me another, yeah. you know, like. Which we love like, about him. Yeah, exactly. You know? He's kind of that guy. But but at the end of the day, if he wins the world title, are you going to be like, yeah, that's my world champion right, right there? Right. And well, to be honest. I'm not against it. Like I'm, I'm not, not either. Sitting, I'm, I'm not sitting I'm not here either. chastising him. I'm not I'm, either, but it just doesn't seem like he's a world champion no. for whatever reason. I'm, I'm not chastising. I can't put my finger on it. I just don't sense that he's a world champion yet. Yet he continually performs. That's the other thing. You know, it's kind of like we can say all that we want to say, but the guy's proving himself and he's taking out John John, you know, and, and important people. I know. That's that's random. Are those but, guys taking themselves out like the yeah, ace is. buck and semi? Is it the semi? Yeah. Ace yeah. buck and semi. Look, those big washers just came through. They both got washed through a bunch of times. It's not like he beat Ace Buck, and it's like the, the energy of the swell kind of beat them both. And he came out with just a little bit better score. So in the other events that he's won this year, he got nines and made like deserved to win those events. But I like I said in this one, he beat John John with a 14-6-3. That's John 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 hasn't scored less than multiple eights in right. every other heat throughout the event, you know, like, so fortunately for Wilco, he drew John John when John John had a shocker. Fortunately for Wilco, he drew ace when ace had a shocker and so on, you know, so that part rubs me the wrong way a little bit because, uh, firstly, he wasn't on my fantasy team. <laughs> and secondly, what he was on yours though, right? Who? Wilco. Yes. Yeah. So, um, 
But Ace, I, Ace was too, which is why I was. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. So that rubs me the wrong way, but also it's just like I don't believe that he deserved to be in that final. There were so many other people that deserved to be there, and he looked so winded. You know, and understand, understandably, like I would have been. Yeah, but, you know, way but to, no, but, actually, an interesting point I read this morning, which I thought was a great point. If Owen Wright was in this event, he wouldn't have been winded. That guy paddles like a machine. He's course. a complete stud. Like the difference between Owen Wright and Matt Wilkinson is great regarding the physical fitness, how large and yeah. how long Owen Wright is. He wouldn't have been winded. Definitely not. And, I don't and, think Ace Bucken would have been winded. Or I, Gabe Medina. Is the exact was Gabe it Medina, winded when they when um, Wilco finished his semifinal heat? Who's huffing and, and puffing? And they were interviewing him, and I think Rosie or Strider was asking about how tired he is, and he's like, "Oh man, I wish I could cut these arms off and sew some new ones on," which was funny. But heat, heat was but, over at that point. But you would never hear Gabriel even say that if Gabriel thought it and felt it he would never show that card so then they cut to gabe and gabe's on the boat waxing up his board looking fresh as a daisy and yes he had the previous heat so he's had 30 additional minutes to recover or 35 or 40 whatever it was so you can't ignore that but the point is if gabe had just come out of that heat he still wouldn't show that hand he would just keep his chin up and just be like no man let's do this i want to get back out there and shred and it shows when they're on waves too, because Gabe comes out. Gabe's like on his front foot at all times. Crash comes out, rips these gnarly turns, and never lets off the gas. Whereas Wilco comes out and he's doing a lean back carve because he doesn't have the strength to pull like a real hundred percent intensity turn. You know, and his first wave when he fell on that first wave, it was like, okay, this is over. Yeah. And you could see then too when he was taken off, he didn't have the drive that yeah. Gabe had. So. He's kind of like. Um in a way, he's like our John Daly. You know, he's like the tour's John Daly. Like, I could see Wilco being sponsored by Camel Cigarettes or right. and having like a Camel T-shirt on. He would love it. <laughs> oh my! So again, those are the things that we also love about him. But I like, would, I wanted him to win, or I want to see the best surfing possible. And John John would have provided that for me. Ace would have. Kelly would have. Those are the guys I want to see in the final. I read this about Gabby Medina online today. Yeah, a man who was angry about Gabby Medina. This is what he wrote. It makes me angry that his poo stance, and he's such a proficient surfer. It's like when you see a flat-billed, front-lifted, tundra-driving, affliction-wearing douche knob with that hot chick. That's what Gabby Medina reminds me of. (laughs) That's from the Surfer Magazine message board, which I think kind of nails it for a lot of people. Brutal, dude. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think that kind of nails it. Look, it's important to have a black-hatted surfer on tour. And to many of us, Gabe Medina is that guy. Right. But it's not just because of his poo stance. You know, like... No, there's a, there's a lot of sophomoric angst in this, obviously, yeah, yeah. but it's funny Why if, you, if you're one of those. Right. If you believe, like, I'm buying into it's this. It's very funny. And everybody hates that affliction-wearing douche. It's the worst, man. Um, let me ask you this regarding Gabriel Medina and his surfing. Yeah. How would you feel about those couple of massive alley oops that I he did? I thought they were cool. That I mean, got underscored. Or like, do you feel yeah, they got I, underscored? I don't. That's I. It's funny. I mean, at the end of that ride, that's just not where the points are. It kind of doesn't really matter what you do. I I don't know if they give him an extra two tenths of a point or not. You know, like I guess your question is, does it deserve what an extra point? It certainly is is more difficult. Like nobody else on tour is going to nail. You know, maybe three guys on tour are going to yeah. do that or even attempt it. You know. Right. John, John, and 
Eat alone. Eat alone. Yeah. So it's funny, you know. That I'm sort of torn. I bet you are too. I don't know what to make of that from a from a judging standpoint. Look, it's 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 kind of a tube riding event at this point when yeah. the waves are like that, and they're sitting on the ledge and getting insane ones. Once they come out and you're getting into shish kebabs, the wave is over, and he does one of those as an exclamation mark. It's super difficult, but do you, is that what this event is about? And I guess the answer is no. Yeah, I disagree. Um, I think those were really underscored. I, the first one especially because he actually got a proper barrel. He surfed that wave to its full potential. And then that first one, he, the second one is the one he laid back on. But the first one in the earlier rounds, he landed so smooth, yeah. buttery. I'm going to claim that's the best air that's ever been done at Cloud Break. It's certainly the best one I've ever seen. And so... He got a proper barrel, came out, utilized a section that nobody else would utilize. So that section's been there for years. Nobody's ever thought to do that on it. And he did it to a degree of difficulty that no, that people don't do at beach breaks. Like it was so gnarly. And they gave him like a 6.43. I'm like, the barrel alone was a 6.4. So it, it, you, like you say, they gave him three tenths of a point or whatever. Like I was baffled by that. So, and I think Gabriel, like, is this what this event is about? Well, it's never been about that in the past because nobody stepped up to Gabriel's level. But guess what? It's about that now in the future because guys have this level of talent. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you do need to progress, right? I mean, that if, was if, it. You, if you give him points, then the next year, next year when we run this event, people are going to be thinking, hey, I've got to do that too. Yeah. And that's going to push the level. I don't know, and I don't know if you know what goes on in the judge's mind regarding that. Right. You know? I don't. Um, so It's a question for pro. Is it an extra point? I think it could be a, easily an extra point. Easily, dude. It's a very difficult thing to do. Now, the you remember the final Matt Wilkinson's first yeah. counting of 4.17? Yeah. He did three turns. Three turns. The third turn was pretty critical. He had to throw it up into a cascading lip, and yep. it was really shallow. And I mean... Which of those is more critical? Maybe they're equally the same. Yeah. And so regarding Gabe's alley-oop, I'm not saying that that should be scored higher than uh, uh, Matt Wilkinson's thing that you just described or doing a floater there or doing a snap on the right section. What I'm saying is that that section called for that maneuver. Yeah. And no one um, else is doing it. Nobody else Everyone has else ever is done it. Out everybody else kicks out. So it's kind of, it needs to be acknowledged. And when the section comes to do a big snap, I'm not saying that the alley-oop should be used instead of the snap. No, the snap is the appropriate thing Let me ask you this. If times. he doesn't make that error, does he get discounted? That would As be, a fall. That would be problematic for As me. As a if fall. He did. Yeah. No, he shouldn't. He shouldn't. Well, the barrel already well, if scored. The barrel already scored. So he got those points in the bag. If he does an alley-oop, it should never deduct from points. Okay. So the idea of making the wave doesn't. Because yeah. I think they have a big thing, not necessarily at this spot, but they have a, a thing about making the wave. A completed ride, so to speak. Yeah, but in, in this example, the only alternative is to kick out. You know, it's like you either kick out or you Which go. Which is a completed ride, or you roll the dice for more points, and if you don't get them, are you then... Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't think that you should lose points for that. Not at this wave and in this scenario. Um, so... Was Gabe Medina the best surfer at this event? Yeah. Have to, you'd have to say yes. Well... Kelly was certainly right there. I would argue the John st- John is right there. John John was right there. Here's the thing about John. Who else? Who's your fourth guy? Okay. Um, Wiggly? No, definitely not. Let me pull up the You don't like Brazil, do you? I hate it. No, of course not. Um, 
Mick, Mick Fanning. Oh, yeah. Mick yeah, Fanning I would, would agree be my with that. fourth. Yeah. yeah. That's a good. So those four guys, wouldn't it be great to have a, to have a three-hour final with those four guys? Yeah, By the way, it's pumping there today. It's going to be huge, like way bigger. Yeah. Like, I mean, that speaks to what too we big. always talk about. I don't know about too big. I, I think. Well, I'd rather. I mean, it can be too big to see that proper barreling section that you want to see. Well, no. I mean, just think about the one big day in Vol. It just breaks That's further true. out That's true. That on unreal. that second ledge, yeah. and it goes top to bottom, and it's just a whole nother ballgame. Right, 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 right. Well, um, let me talk about John John for a second. I, I mean, you just said who's the best surfer at this event. I, I honestly don't think anybody's more talented than John John. Um, he's so casual and he's so confident and he it's um the so's, nuance so's Kelly the nuance in John John surfing I think is lost on the judges and a lot of the viewers even I don't know if it's lost but it's just um we're used to it that's entirely true we are we Which are could a little be a bit form used of to being it. lost but I feel the same way about Kelly. I think that he, he does things that are just so like unless you really understand it, yeah. you don't get it. I think John John is every bit as good as Kelly. Oh, for sure. And but there's a casualty to John John that Kelly doesn't have. Yeah. Yes. Kelly is much more like um like there's a he's a tactician and yeah. John John's more like free form. I'm just out here to have fun. Totally. That's the vibe and, you get. And Kelly, there wouldn't be a John John without Kelly. So, well, like, of course, it's his father. So, <laughs> so, but it, it, like, you watch John John, you're like, this guy was born in the womb of a wave. Like, he is from the ocean, you know? Like, he just, <laughs> he becomes fluid out there. So, he looks so casual when he's in unbelievably critical situations, namely in the barrel. But, but really, to be honest, it show, shows a lot when he's doing backside snaps in the most critical section of the wave. And when he's driving into it, like from a bottom turn, you're thinking there's no way he's going vert into that because it's so gnarly. Not only does he do it, but then he blows fins and then he slides. And then you're thinking, well, this is not going to end well or he's going to go into a recovery but he doesn't. He lands so buttery and then goes into another one. And you're just like, whoa, those two turns were eight points. And not to mention the fact that he just got the gnarliest barrel. It's crazy, you know? Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, He's insane. So when I watch that versus the way that Gabe approaches, and Gabe, like I really appreciate Gabriel, but I do think John John has the most talent. What do you there. think John John's mindset is after this event? Is he disappointed that he didn't go further? He had this win in Brazil. There was a lot of momentum going here. Is he okay with this result as he moves forward with um, the potential to win a world title? I think he's disappointed. I think he's disappointed, and it makes him hungrier. He said in his post-eat interview, this is a great result, and I'm happy with the result. But he knows, as well as all of us do, he should have that title. like, Or the, the Fiji Pro title, right. not necessarily the world title. Right. And so he has Bede Durbich in his corner, which I think has served him really well. And Bede will analyze and figure out what that nuance is that John John needs to um, where he can make improvements in his game. And and I think that is why Bede's there, and that's what they're doing. I, I think well, well, one thing I'm not sure who said this. Somebody on on the WSL said it. Um, it was something something to the effect of Bede's advice, or maybe this was in the Surfline thing. Maybe you said this Surfline thing. Bede said, "Look." John John is 
a super intimidating uh, surfer. Everybody's afraid to draw John John, especially in this environment. He and needs he, to use that to his He advantage. does not utilize that, yeah. whereas Kelly does. Yeah. Kelly goes out there and he ices guys, and, and Gabriel uses that too in the locker room. John John's affable, and he's everybody's friend. I don't know if you want to change John John, though. John John's just not going to be that. Um that sort of, I'm going to stare you down, sparring guy. He's just, John John's got to be, to, to have yeah. those traits that you love about his surfing, he's got to be kind of free form and free flowing and, and not so concerned with the other guys in his heats. It's really him against the waves. And I think if you try to steer John John into this, um, you know, I don't know, like pit bull mentality or, 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 or Mike Tyson thing where it's like, yeah. hey, you're in the ring with me, man, and, and I'm going to beat you before you even catch a wave. I just don't think that's John John's mojo. I don't think those are the only two options. I agree with you. I, I think there's other ways that they yeah. can apply this, but they have to be diff- They have to defer to his natural state. Agreed. I don't think John John needs to be something that he's not. I think he needs to do the surfing he does and then paddle out to Gabe and be like, hey, dude, you see that alley-oop I just stomped you know and then just say it like something like that and then gable that'll get in gabe's head you know that's what john john needs to utilize yeah i'm not sure that hiring for a small business is critical it's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do linkedin jobs will be your next big unlock LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ah, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I'm not sure that John John has that in him. I'm not sure if that's, you know, I don't, I simply don't know. I'm not saying he shouldn't do it or he should do it. I just don't see that going down. doesn't need to be contrived, but it can't you, be. If, if you, it's contrived, he's, it's going to work against him. Clearly. But if you want to win world title, you need to develop uh, a killer some, instinct. Some instinct. Yeah, yeah. Killer instinct. So um, there's a number of other things in this event that took place. What? Go ahead. Uh, 
Do you want to talk about Here's the- one thing I want to talk yeah. about that my wife brought up during the broadcast. Okay. We watched this together. In the final, or before the semis, at some point, they cut to Joe Trapel and Martin Potter, and they had these clashing floral print shirts on that were just... I don't know who dresses these people or where the production designer is on the WSLs, if they even have one. But whoever put those guys in those shirts should be fired. Yeah. I, it's funny you say that. Somebody emailed me about that. Those were stupid, over-the-top lame. Yeah. Like, Did they comment on them at all or make like, hey, we're going to... Now, it might have been a thing. I told my wife, I said, it could be a thing where Martin's trying to represent Tavaru, and that's the uh, Tavaru, I mean, uh, Nomotu, and that's the Nomotu team shirt, and Joe's on Tavaru, and maybe that's the Tavaru. I, and again, I'm just throwing mud at the wall here. I don't know if any of this is to be true, but... Could have just been an awful That could choice. be the name of the podcast as well, mm-hmm. Mud on the Wall, throwing mud at the wall. Um, we're throwing lots of stuff on this podcast. Um, let's talk about interferences. Yeah. Because that's pretty pretty important topic throughout this event let me bring you to a point the um the gabe kelly was it a quarter or semi semi yes gabe medina kelly slater semi the very beginning of it yep did they had an overhead drone shot i love that right when it and you can really see what's going on tactically with the two guys and kelly and gabe were both paddling for this left and Gabe had him beat, had Kelly beat, and, and Kelly really came close to just vibing him, like as close as he could get without getting an interference. And he pushed Gabe too deep. You're thinking of the wrong heat. It oh. was Wiggly. Okay, yes. Thank you. Wiggly. Yeah. That's right. That was Wiggly and, and Kelly. That's right. right. So that was a really interesting shot. And I thought that they could have made more of of what was going down there. I thought and Kelly, I thought it was an interference. I thought Kelly could have been called for the I, interference. I actually li- was... was not listening to the broadcast, I was watching it, but I had music on. Yeah, and I was, I was like, "Oh my god, he just got an interference." Yep, so that I was my first thing. thought, and then I turned on the broadcast, and they didn't really even go there. Well, there's a lot more to this story. Oh, good, because Wiggly kind of like, I'm kind of off Wiggly. Yeah, I'm kind of not a fan of Wiggly's right. anymore. So let's break it down. I agree with you. That was a potential interference because not only it, so Wiggly had him beat. Kelly, that's the point where he was paddling for the wave with priority. And that's no, no, the, no. There was no priority. It was no, the beginning. but I mean, I he mean, was in the position, position right. for priority. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Kelly gave it one or two extra paddles directly at Wiggly, almost like a spear. Yeah. Just like, I'm going to spear you with my board. Yeah. Like, he wasn't even trying to, like, right. battle for the wave. He was now on the attack against That's what Wiggly. I saw, too. So I saw that, too. So the backstory. Yes. Wiggly... Uh, made it through two heats with the opposite surfer getting interferences. The first being Connor Coffin. Do you remember this? I do. Okay. Kelly was seeking retribution for Connor Coffin. How do you know this? Because in his post-heat interview, he goes, that was for Connor and Michelle. Yeah, boys. Right on. He said it outrightly. This is the kind of thing the WSL needs, and they need to promote this type of of nationalistic, and I know it's probably not nationalistic from Kelly's standpoint, but we can say that we're dealing with, well, Michelle's from Tahiti, but we can say that this is good for the WSL to have conflict amongst competitors. This needs to be excavated. And um, this is really where we need like Beach Grit and you and I and these other outlets to sort of start to like we make do. this happen yeah, we because do. it's really not in the WSL's interest to get two competitors hating each other. Yeah. But uh, it is actually in their interest. Well, th- so Rosie started off that interview. She didn't say, hey, what happened with that paddling at the beginning? She just said, hey, Kelly, congratulations on your heat. Tell me what happened out there. And he just offered it up. He was just like, 
Hey, Connor and Michelle, that was for you. Yeah, boys. And But that's what he was in reference to was... So I'll go back now. I, I think it was round three. Yeah. Connor Coffin versus Migley or Wiggly Dantes. Um, <laughs> What's your new nickname for him? Migley. Because I was thinking Miggy Poopo. Migley. That sounds like a character from... Um, what's that? Fraggle Rock or Mowgli. The or something. Mowgli. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jungle Book. Jungle Book. So what happened in the previous or in the round three heat? Connor Coffin, Wiggly Dantes. Uh, Wiggly had priority given to him by the judges, but Connor had positioning. You know, the priority positioning on the wave, basically. And it was one that was kind of rolling in, but it was about to hit that double up on the inside, which is a pretty critical moment in the wave to make decisions on. And so. Connor, with better positioning, wanted to go, but Wiggly, a few feet over, could have taken off in front of him. So Connor kind of waited for a second. Wiggly acted like he wasn't going to go. Connor then gets hit by the whitewash, at which point it blocks his vision. So he jumps up to his feet. Wiggly probably understood that Connor was putting himself in a really risky spot so wiggly's like i'm gonna take advantage of my priority situation here and just go and force an interference on connor well connor had the option to straighten out like let wiggly go straighten out get detonated by this wave have a bad wipeout but because of the whitewash hitting him in the back it kind of set him on a projection sideways so by the time he got to his feet, shook his hair off, he actually had crossed in front of Wiggly's path and then just kicked out of the back of the wave. No harm, no foul. Except for the fact that in the rules books, it states that you can't actually cross in front of a surfer. <laughs> so it really didn't interfere with Wiggly's sur- surf uh, ability to surf that wave, to be honest. Like Connor left a minimal track in front of him. Wiggly could have continued on the wave. I think Wiggly actually ended up wiping out, but... Connor had no other choice. It was like Connor kind of did what he needed to do to get out of the way and to check whether Wiggly was going to go or not. But it, but to be honest, Wiggly took advantage of a situation. Wiggly was down. He had a couple minutes left. He needed to win the heat. And I think he just was like, hey, I'm going to force an interference right here. And so the all of the competitors recognize that Wiggly worked within the rules that are set in the criteria, but they also recognize nobody wants to win that way. So when Kelly had the opportunity to seek retribution, he took advantage of it. I, I'm, I'm torn here because I, I think what Wiggly did from a competitive standpoint was the right thing to do. You're in the heat to win it. You're not in the and heat Kelly, to like have your bro buy you a breakfast because you... You didn't do it. I was on the beach when Kelly did it to Shane Beshin at the U.S. Open. Uh, it's it's like, been going on since the beginning of they've professional all They've all done it. Yeah. So they all acknowledge what you're saying. And 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 it is what it is, dude. It's a competition. It's not a bro fest out right. there. And so I'm okay with it. Yeah. And if Kelly did it to somebody else in a later heat, because I'm a big Kelly fan, I'd be like, good. Well, he did a different version of it to Wiggly later, specifically. So I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah. Like, I just think, it. look, that's that's what we're here to watch is like these guys are out there to win and, and however they do it, that's fine by me. You know, those are the rules. Everyone agrees to the rules. I would say that Connor, Connor didn't need to turn around and he should have just ducked knowing he didn't have priority and that he and was he on was the already inside. Winning the heat. He was already winning the heat yeah. to me, as I recall, cause I watched it. I thought that was just a rookie move. Good, good point. And I also think it's important in all parts of life to look at what you could have done differently and how you could have adjusted. And the reality is 
Connor shouldn't have been sitting that close to Wiggly anyways. Like if he created more distance between him and Wiggly, he could have taken that wave. He could have taken off on that same exact wave from a deeper position and made the right decisions. He shouldn't be letting himself into that vulnerable situation. Yeah. So that was good on Wiggly to stay that tight and to force something like that. But I'm still anti-Wiggly for sure. whatever reason. I, I was and it, it came over me after during the heat with Kelly that it just seems like. He's got a little bit of a black hat now for me, personally. You know, Interesting. Like, I don't yeah. feel that way about him. Yeah. Um, so, by the way, in the next heat that Wiggly had, the next man-on-man heat with Michel Berez, Michel Berez got an interference too. So he made it through two See, heats. the hat just got darker. And But that wasn't as egregious, and it wasn't like yeah. it was much more standard. Yeah. Um, but I like it. I like the That was the one where Michel Berez could have straightened out, yeah. but didn't. Cross paths, and yeah. it was just like a, it was a dumb move. Dumb move. Um, I loved Kelly seeking retribution, though. That shows yes. a certain fire in Kelly yes. that we haven't seen for a while, and he really, really pushed that to the absolute edge. I mean, one inch closer, and they would have had to call an interference on it. What him. did you make of the the little post heat moment that we got when they had sort of the B roll camera on board the after the Gabe Medina Kelly Slater semifinal? Where Gabe walked up behind Kelly, shook his hand, and Kelly was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, good heat. I should have done this. I should have done that. Did you see those two guys talking for that one moment? I did. I I think Kelly was more angry than he let on. He just didn't want to, like, show that face to Gabe. He was more like, yeah, bro, whatever, yeah, good heat, man. You know, like, kind of cool and casual, but I think he's pissed. I agree. And um, it shows a lot about how... Sort of savvy Kelly is. Oh, no. I think it shows a vulnerability or weakness. Maybe, but would you rather have him just like, hey, yeah, good, could eat whatever and walk off? Or do you think that you saw through him and that's why you sense weakness? Because you you could sense that it wasn't real sincere. I could, I see through it in that Kelly believes Gabe has his number at Cloudbreak. Hmm. I, I mean, and he does. You said that, David Lee Scales, not me. I don't David, believe he does. Oh, he absolutely I know, does. Like, He's I'm, beat him in perfect Kelly Slater conditions the last two times in a row. Previously, I think he was in the more, final. No, and these are Kelly's conditions. Everybody says Kelly Slater's the man out there. He knows it better. Gabe beats him every chance that he, every time Well, they I would up, suggest to you that Kelly beat up. himself. Kelly made some mistakes. Twice? But the two times they matched up when it mattered most to Kelly? You know what I mean? Look, was in the I can't final argue previously. the scoreboard. I'm just telling you that I I think that again this this harkens to the let's do a three hour heat with Kelly Gabe, John John and Mick Fanning. Let's do a three hour made for television special. You know, like yeah, that's yeah. what needs to be done. Of course, I couldn't agree more. If you ask me, who's surfing dazzles me more? Kelly's without a doubt. Like, but so Kelly's the better surfer. No, who's dazzles me more? You know, like I am more enamored with Kelly surfing. Right, so you think Kelly's a better surfer? That's a different... I don't think that he technically is necessarily. You just said you're more dazzled and you think he surfs better than Gabe. I didn't say he surfs better. You You don't think he surfs surfs better better than Gabe? I think it's a different question, first of all, and that's not the one that I was answering. But uh, I think here's what I would like to see in that three-hour scenario. I can't believe you don't think Kelly Slater surfs better than Gabe Medina. I didn't say that, first of all. <laughs> I didn't, that's not the question I was addressing. I'd have to really think about that. Um, but check it out. What I'd like to see in that three-hour scenario, 
I think I think that would push Gabe to a new level that we haven't seen required of him yet. So who's surfing dazzles me more? Slaters. But if you put Gabe in, and when you put him in a 30-minute heat, Gabe utilizes the strategy and technique techni- to win the heat based on the judging criteria. So we've seen him exercise that. If you put him in this new scenario that you're offering, I think we'll see a new level from Gabe. And some of the beauty that we see out of Kelly surfing and the dazzle we might see out of Gabriel, but he's not been put in that criteria yet. Well, I'll tell you this, that, and it hurts me to say this because I'm not a fan, but the, first of all, the kid looks stronger than he's ever looked. Like totally. his arms and everything, like yeah. he's filling into his body. He's young. What is he, like 22 or 23 or something? Crazy, yeah. We've got at least 10 or 15 years of this guy yeah. dominating at Fiji, Tahiti, and Pipeline which, oh, by the way, are the three spots that you have to own, sort of. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, he can win all the other events. <laughs> so Lowers, one Every foot single beach breaks. one. San Francisco. I mean, yeah. you name the it. One, yeah, he's So won. the fact, I mean, it's scary. You know, it's it's a scary place to be if if you're somebody, a fan like me who oh, doesn't yeah. want to see him do well. But I will note that he is... Um, you know, he's got to be on your fantasy team at those events. Yeah. I'll say that. He was on mine. Um, I'm not a Gabriel Medina fan. I'm just calling a spade a spade. Like the kid's undeniable, you know? You're calling him dark? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one thing I do want to say about Kelly Slater is we have finally found the conditions that his board, the banana works in. It only works in perfect six to eight foot reef passes. Apparently that board looks awful everywhere. And then out there I was like, Oh crap. Now I get it. Yeah. It's got tons of rocker board with a, a wave with so much speed and, and potential. A lot of, a lot of the foam ball riding or like barrel riding, adjusting rodeoing through the thing um, was Based on that board, like I think that's what that board design had in mind, and what Kelly had in mind for that has got to be. I mean, you know, we've seen so many great events at Fiji almost every year. It seems like, and at Pipe, and definitely at Chopu, there was just some mind blowing tubes that, mind at this blowing. event where I was like, "No way, he's coming out of mind that one." Dude. Specifically, John, John, and Kelly. Yeah, a couple of times where you're just like, "Whoa, my God, he's so deep." Right. There's no way, and somehow they got onto another level. The water angle makes you a little bit more um, hopeful. Yeah. It's that straight-on angle where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe he made it out of yeah. that. Yeah, and I appreciated the drone angle, too. There was one that tracked John John's, one of John John's high nines, that just, like, watching him disappear and reappear and then go back again and then slightly look like he's going to come out and then make another section, then come out bottom turn, big blow tail snap. It was really, really dynamic. Um, Kelly, given... Again, to give credit to that surfboard, he came out and did some unbelievably critical turns. And then one of them was like a roundhouse, a backside like roundhouse that he then banked off the whitewash. But it wasn't – it was like off the lip of the whitewash. And the the arc and the tightness of the angle that he made wouldn't have been done on a regular surf or a different surfboard. Like it – he was able to make such a tight radius with that high rockered board, you know. Drastically rockered board. So I wonder how many times he's getting new boards made, and is he making changes to them all the time? Like he must. It seems to me that he must be constantly changing his designs. You know, like by minimal amounts sure. here and there. You know, yeah, because it'd be bizarre if he's because he rode the banana at Snapper and then he rode it at Cloudbreak. It'd be bizarre to ride the same board at both locations. Yeah, you know. But 
he was riding the banana at both those locations. So there's got to be different versions of it. Um, I, I've got a, another topic of discussion. I've got quite a few. For the Fiji Pro, though? Oh, no. Okay, one more for the Fiji Pro. Let's talk about the nature of a 10. There's no, a multiple 10-point rides in this event. There was a lot of high nines. Potts proposed the idea of a sliding scale where judges have the option to give away an 11, you know, in the rare circumstance. Like, hey, we've dropped 10s today, and that was better than any of those. So let's offer this an 11. Um, upon repute... I don't think you can do that. That's a slippery slope. You just can't agree. go there. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. So upon review... You know, you, you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh, we dropped four tens today. Well, look, he's, there was he's a arguing. one ten. I mean, the Mick Fanning's wave should have been a ten. You're right. It was like it a was nine, nine, eight. nine three. It had like three yeah. ten, two tens, and it should have been a ten. That okay. was a ten. Yeah. I, and Potts said as much, and I yeah. think we all agreed that he was underscored. So at the end of the day, you review three waves, and you're like, these three waves got tens, and you can probably at that point tease apart which one's the best of the three. You right. Know? Right. Um. So I understand Pot's kind of dilemma there and how do we adjust for this. But I think it's also important to note each heat is scored just Based against itself. It. Yeah, right. You know, so what happens in heat one is different than what happens in heat 10. And you have to adjust the scale as the waves change and all that sort of thing. So I kind of understand Pot's idea and it seems to come up periodically. But I think that this scale, the way that it works now is right. I don't know how you would. I mean, the on concern it. would be if a surfer gets a ten, and in then that heat. in a heat, and then in that same heat, another surfer gets a, a wave that's better. Right. And so you've got each of them have a ten, and it's not fair to the second ten. Yeah. Which I doesn't think we, happen too often, it, but it happens more. It will happen at Fiji and in Tahiti. That's what I think. Why they gave Mick slightly less than a ten in that heat was like. We got to pull it back a little. Or, yeah, this today has the potential to see something mind-boggling. And Mix was amazing, but the wave could have been bigger or he could have, you know, like, we need to leave a little bit of room here. Yeah. That, that's all that they were hedging on, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see so many high scores. But you're right. The waves are just unbelievable. And by the way, a lot of guys... I mean, I remember watching one of Michelle Berez's heats where he got he came out. It was a the three man heat. He came out and claimed a wave that he got a five on. But I was like, I'm not mad at you for claiming that because that was the sickest barrel. Like if I got that, that'd be the best wave of my life, and it arguably is one of his best waves of his his life. I doubt that. But John John's out back getting nines, you know. So it's like by comparison, Michelle's wasn't that great, but it was great. Well, this is a good segue to what I want to proclaim. I have some pronouncements some proclamations all right get ready for this preach brother i believe surfing is an incredibly difficult athletic endeavor but it's not a sport because it's subjectively judged here we go again yet i still watch (laughs) i believe spinal tap this is spinal tap should receive an oscar scott (laughs) preach brother I believe your surfing style is more important than your claim. Mm. I believe Hawaii is the 50th state of the union and should be categorized as such. Hard to argue. I believe Fiji, Tahiti, J-Bay, and Pipe should be deemed major events, much like golf. But the WS- And the WSL should offer extra points and extra money for those four events. Couldn't agree more. I believe longboards should be ridden leashless and in a Mm. classical fashion. Mm. 
I believe the Rolling Stones are the greatest rock and roll band ever. Wow. I believe WSL judges shouldn't know what score a surfer needs to advance through that heat. No question. I believe that surfing and golf are the two most difficult athletic endeavors. I believe in God. Those are my proclamations for this show. You, you and I will have more proclamations later. There's a lot for people to email about right there. Well, man, um, I didn't know this was going to be such a heavy show, man. <laughs> this show could just be called I Believe. We have three new titles. Well, I, gotta, I, I must admit, I ripped off the Bill Simmons. Have you? Is it Simons? Bill Simmons? Simmons. Bill Simmons. Have you seen his HBO um, yeah. promo teasers? Oh, no. Where no, he's no, like, no. I believe the DH is bullshit. I right, believe right, this. Right, right. I believe that. It's pretty good. So sort of took well, that, and I thought it would be good for the show. And I'm looking forward, David, to some of your proclamations. I wish I we we should have proclamations on each show, perhaps, if we can. Maybe no. five proclamations each. No. no. Just I one mean, time. Well, like, those are those will stick with you forever. Like, those right. are the Ten Commandments. Yes. They should be yours, and you need to put a Why lot of thought into them. Why limit your commandments to just ten? Because it waters them down if you don't. You know, like... They are all rock solid. There's no water. <laughs> <laughs> I I would have to think long and hard about mine. Okay. And, uh, but Forget you're right. It. You know what? Don't Don't put yourself out there. Well, make dude, it a weak ass show. I'm trying to take it as seriously as possible, and now you're dumbing it down, dude. Come on, let me let me take it seriously, right, and I will. Uh, but those are all themes that you have brought up over the years they are. a lot. They so are. I just wanted to. I'm not surprised them. by any of them, yeah. but I'm glad that you reaffirmed them. Maybe for new listeners who don't know you that, that well. That was kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, perfect. That's exactly what I was thinking. Wow. Surf Stitch loses 500 million dollars in just months. I'm sure you saw this news. It's yeah. sort of the industry news uh, du jour or of the week. Um, real quick, I'm just taking from uh, Chaz Smith's Beach Grit article here. In 2015, Surf Stitch began amassing a series of businesses, retailers, and surfing content. David, you talked about this at length a couple of times. We were like, who's Surf Stitch? They just bought Magic Seaweed. It raised 37. And stab. Yeah. Yeah. It raised 37.5 million in new capital to buy Stab, a leading online surf content platform, Magic Seaweed, a user generated surf forecasting network. And in November of 2015, it paid $15 million for Garage, which is some surf video production company. Mm -hmm. And it raised another 50 million to buy Surf Hardware International, also known as FCS. It's the leading surfboard and accessories manufacturer in Australia. Also in November 2015, Surf Stitch was valued at around $580 million. <clears throat> then shockwaves hit. In 2016, Surf Stitch backed away from its full year earnings guidance. That's a big no no, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, world of finance. And that sent a scare through the market and shares tumbled 40%, in fact. Then in early March of this year, investment banker and Surf Stitch principal Justin Cameron suddenly announced he was abandoning his position with the company and was considering a potential acquisition of the company backed by a new group of private investors. That's awfully odd. Yeah. Cameron and his supposed investors didn't show up for the party. And in May of this year, the company announced its profit for 2016 would drop 60%. In June, obviously, the share took another hit with an additional $18 million loss announced. And as of last week, Surf Stitch value has dropped over $500 million. And they're in a free fall at about $0.20 cents a share. Your thoughts? Brutal. I thought it was an interesting story that needed to be brought up. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Has uh, their acquisition of any of those things influenced your life whatsoever? 
No. Me neither. Not so, none whatsoever. Right. I think Stab has gotten worse because of it, you know, and their their content has shifted and changed. Gone more, more mainstream. More advertorial. A little softer. Yeah. Like, They've become well, a marketing vehicle for exactly. Surf Stitch's brands. Exactly. Which, Which I get. Is what they are. Totally respectable, and like that's what you need to do in business. But, um, but that makes me sad, you know, because I did like Stab for a long time. <laughs> it was really important. But now we have Beach Grit. Now we do have Beach Grit. <laughs> out of the ashes, actually, yeah. specifically, you know, Derek Riley and Chaz. And Rory. Well, Rory, yeah, wasn't a part of B- or Stab previously, but right. uh, those other guys were. But, yeah, so the point is um, when all that happened, it's kind of like doesn't matter to me. Like I don't buy from any of these retailers. and But it's a more European-centric Magic Seaweed and uh, Surf Stitch as a retailer, you know. Well, SwellNet.com out of Australia has a pretty good article about this, which was written by Phil Jarrett, who wrote a who wrote a series of articles, maybe even a book, on when Quicksilver was sort of in that wavering place. Mm-hmm. And um, Phil Jarrett does a he's a great great writer, and he does a good job of sort of summarizing what I just went over, in, yeah. and in better form. Right. Well, speaking of Quicksilver, they've um, they own DC, and DC's obviously getting back in the surf business. So that's a you know uh, again out of the ashes, like a company that's. Filed for bankruptcy, regrouped, shed a bunch of weight, and then like now are picking up the pieces and figuring out how to move forward. So um, they released a video of Ezekiel Lau that I talked about last time we recorded. And in that video, Zeke had a DC sticker on his board. And they just released a press release yesterday saying, I saw that. Here it is. Uh, Bruce Iron, Zeke Lau, Kanoa Igarashi, and Leonardo Fioravanti are the four guys we are sponsoring for surf. So they're bringing back surfwear and shoes and all that stuff. Look at Scott's look of disgust with <laughs> I'm that I'm not team. disgusted. I'm questioning Bruce Irons. Oh, oh. I thought, Why would you bring Bruce Irons back? What has he shown you with well, Ruka, with Fox, with even Volcom at the last four or five years of his contract there? I mean... It's a risk, but um, I would say so. He's kind of synonymous with the brand. I mean, who who he was synonymous with Volcom, and true. they let him go. True. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not standing behind their decision. Maybe they just did like a six month contract. Like, hey, you have made some strides recently. You got a cover shot. He's got a new film he's working on. We're gonna bank on that. And if you don't deliver, we're out of here. You know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Only time will tell. Look, he's a great surfer. I'm just saying as a marketing vehicle, I'm not sure Bruce Hines is where I put my money. Yeah, I hear you. Um, Kelly Slater Wavepool. I know. I knew you were going to talk. I, I was hoping you would talk In about In San this. Diego. There's been six proposals put before the um, probably the Port Commission in the city of San Diego. Uh, six proposals to redevelop the Seaport Village area, which is an, an area in downtown San Diego that's right along the bayfront. And it's a really beautiful area, and it's gotten sort of old, and sort of it's got sort of a '70s vibe. It needs to be redone, right? And so, six proposals from six different developers. One of those proposals includes Kelly Slater's wave pool right there on some public park land, <laughs> so, right. which already exists. There's already open green space there, and they're just going to put in a wave pool right there, <laughs> which I think it's got more than anything. I think it's like the the developers are like, hey, let's just put that in there as sort of a way to make our proposal stand out, knowing that that's one of the concessions we'll have to make during the process. We'll have to get rid of the wave pool because we just can't take public land 
from the citizens and turn it into this wave pool thing. Because yeah. people are going to go, dude, there's, there's waves across the bay over there at Point Loma. What are you doing? Right. But so that's my take on that is that it's just sort of like a lot of hullabaloo about nothing. Got it. So you said there's six proposals. Yes. Are the others wave pools? No, the, they're just totally. No, different. well, this is there's six proposals to develop the entire area. In right. one of those proposals, a tiny portion of that proposal includes the Kelly Slater wave pool. Got but it. the real thing is, hey, we're going to build hotels. We're going to redo this. We're going to make a restaurant here. We're going to have yeah. a, a seafood and open air seafood market, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're all really great looking proposals, fancy dance, you know, a lot of, a lot of marketing dollars thrown at it. And this is one of those proposals. Again, I think. It's like, hey, let's make our proposal at least stick out. Yeah. You know that the Seaport Village and the city and people are going to talk about our proposal when they go, hey, let's talk about the one with the wave pool. What's this about? You know, and it, at least it'll get the conversation flowing for their totally for their uh, proposal. And even if their proposal gets accepted, they can pull the plug on the wave. Pool That's thing. what the, I think yeah. they have to. I yeah. mean, again, I'm no expert, but I, I looked at it like you, you've got to be kidding me. How are they going to take public land yeah, yeah, yeah. away from the public? public park land and turn it into a private deal. Right. Not going to happen. I hear you. But I could be wrong. We'll see. We'll re reconvene in a Just couple of years. throwing mud and- at the wall over yeah. here. <laughs> Do you have uh, a musty moment, Duke and Coop? Uh, you know, I, I've watched so much good stuff. I should, I'm sorry I didn't write anything down. Go ahead. My musty moment is a uh, satirical surf documentary film out of Iceland called Freezing. Have you seen it? I've heard about it. It's funny, dude. It's 21 minutes long, and um, it's very, very funny. They play on a lot of like adventure movie tropes or surf film tropes. But the basic premise is these two guys... Is it better than Spinal Tap? Actually, no. But it could Thank be you. considered for some sort of web award. Okay. Maybe not an Oscar. A webby? A webby. Uh, so the basic premise is these two guys in Iceland... Uh, who are surfers have a photograph of uh, their uncle or something, an ancient photograph of him standing on the beach and there's a wave behind him and they're going to go search for that wave. You know, like they love their uncle and he was the ma- the manly man in the family and like they admire him and they're going to go find this wave. Is and it so well acted? It is well acted. I'm going to watch this. I'm well, excited about Well this. written, very funny. Cool. And uh, There should be more of these. Well, surf world these guys ripe for satire. But there's there's very very little surfing in this. It's, Good, it's I don't a, want surfing. I agree with you. Like I'm not. I wasn't bothered by that at all. It just happens to be that the subject matter is surfing. But these guys clearly come from a film background. Like it's really well made. Right. Um, like lighting, audio, all of it's great. Okay. Cool. But it made me laugh. I want to see a it. couple of times. So. Good. I will have that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I'll have it on down the line where you can get no, a boardroom show. Yeah. Boardroomshow.com gonna, is where yeah, you go. Boardroomshow.com where you can get all the down the line surf episodes. Perfect. We will both have it on our respective websites. Mine will be called down the line, which is what this show is. Down yeah, the but line surf see, the difference is I prepare and have videos that I bring to this show that are going to end up on my website. I, are you saying I there's offer. no videos on my website? Just saying, I came prepared to the show with a specific video that I'm gonna. I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna use it. I'm excited. Exactly. I'm gonna. I'm gonna grab it too. <laughs> exactly. I've got a Duke. Um, John Roseman is my Duke. All right. You know why? No. Because the dude's radical. Like, <laughs> That's the only criterion. Hey, here, here we go. At least go. say because he's he's like. He's always got a beautiful girl on his arm or something like that. I'm going to give you a litany of reasons why he is my dude. All right. We just spent the last two weeks focused on 
Fiji. Yes. John Roseman, one of the founders and developers of Tavarua. Not a founder. I think he came on later. Oh, of Dave the resort? Clark, Dave Clark. And Dave Clark's the real founder, and then he brought Scott Funk on. This is in the 80s. Roseman came on a little later. Than okay. That. And Roseman's from your hometown, La Jolla. La Jolla. Yeah. Not, Not my hometown. But San Diego's your yeah. hometown. So um, Roseman, super important in the development of Tavarua and the resort and um, spent so much time, surfed tons out there. The the guy gets insane waves. When the waves are pumping as oh, they were, yeah. no, no. he's out there in the free surf. There's maybe nobody that gets, he's right there with like who gets more who gets more tube time. You know, he's, yeah. he's in the conversation. And he surfs switch oftentimes. I didn't know that. Yeah. The guy rips. I thought he was a goofy foot. Why has he got his leash on his front foot? I don't know. I just, I've, I've seen only go, seen him go goofy. I've never I've seen, seen him go, go regular. regular. Wow. Um, in 19, he started serving when he was seven. In 1989, after attending UC Santa Barbara, where he studied economics, philosophy, became a member of the surf team and became involved with Tavarua Island in Fiji, where he's now one of the managing directors. During the time, he helped start some uh, start the Fiji Surfing Association and coached the first Fijian surf team in the South Pacific Games. John has also devoted himself to helping the local Fijian community, and he was instrumental in establishing the Scripps Hospital slash Fiji Health Alliance to provide overseas urgent medical treatment to locals with severe cases, as well as donating medical equipment and providing advanced medical training by overseas doctors to Fijian hospitals. So John Roseman, super important figure on Fiji, on Tavarua, and um, instrumental part of Fiji and the whole existence of the event that we love so much and all the surfers that come there, you know? So, uh, that is my Duke an often overlooked character, probably not by the locals who spend time there, uh, local surfers that spend time there, but by us viewers who admire it from afar. I think probably the greatest untold story in surfing, which probably will never get told is the story of Dave Clark and the founding of Tavara. Can you tell it right I'm now? I'm just going to leave it at that. I've been sworn to secrecy. Oh, yep. really? Yep. But it's fascinating. I don't think. Do I'll you ever want get... this to be a great podcast or not? I can't go there. I my word means a lot to me, and I've been I've heard the story. I spent time with a guy. I'm not going to mention who. Who is knows there, it all? Is there um, betrayal and sex and uh, murder? Is there? Like, There's no. We... Actually, there could be some murder. Some, I guess. <laughs> not, not like not. It wouldn't surprise. I think me. there's either yes or no. It's not some. There's no degrees. There's a little of bit murder. of everything. There's a little bit of everything. You're there's either... a little bit of everything, but again, <laughs> I. You've said too much already. So I'm, yes, I'm already in. My life is in now in jeopardy. Okay. Well, um, I'm gonna dig deep. I. You know, my allegiance is to our listeners, and so I am going to do them the honor of finding this story getting to the bottom of this story it's it's it, the real story probably will never get told sure awesome because the one guy who knows the story besides dave himself is one of dave's best friends and i, I know for a fact this guy's got the type of ethical structure that he would never betray a friend good for not him. that there's betrayal in telling the story it's just some things are better left untold yeah yeah good for him i just want the listeners to use their imagination that's the fun part okay there could be a black box involved a missing 777 who knows yeah yeah all right i'm intrigued uh and enamored by all that is fiji have you ever been there no oh you gotta go 
Yeah, man, I got to go a lot of places, you know. <laughs> Haven't you heard to... my Scott Funk story? Oh, is this another one you're not going to tell? No, I'll tell this one. Okay, let's hear it. So you may or may not know, but in the mid-80s, I worked for the Delmar Lifeguard Department. Did not know. And in, in, I worked as a parking enforcement officer. I was a meter maid. Man, I hate your type. Yeah, I know. You Go ahead. The resentment starts now. Scum of the earth. Yes. And um, and I was... <laughs> I don't know how much of the story I can tell now that I think about it. Actually. Hey, tell it all. I'll edit it out for you. <laughs> wink, wink, listener. I got you covered. Um, some of the story... Let me just say some of the story I'm not proud of. Sure. But I'm going to tell it for the sake of the story. Appreciate and, it. And I have made amends to the people that need to be made amends to. So... Um, so I'm sitting out front of Rusty Del Mar in 19, uh, I don't know, let's see, it must have been like 87 okay. or 88, something like that. And um, I see this guy pull up in the red zone in front of Rusty Del Mar on 15th Street. And his license, he's in a VW van and his license plate says Tavarua. And I'm like, who's this guy, right? And I write tickets. The guy just pulled into the red zone. I got to go write him a ticket. So I see him run into Rusty Del Mar. Car is still running. I run out there, ride a ticket, put it on his windshield wiper, and run back into this little cleaners thing where I'm Go watching. Hide. Yeah, I'm hiding. Exactly. <laughs> Again, I'm not proud of this. I'm just saying this yeah. is what happened. This Avoid was confrontation. 30 years ago or something. Yeah. So, and oh, by the way, I've got, a, I've got a round trip ticket to Fiji in my back pocket. I'm leaving in like three, a month or something. Wow. I'm out of here, right? Okay. So he comes out and I advantageously leisurely stroll out to have a discussion with him because I've just written a guy has Tavarua written on his license plate. He's like, Oh man, what should I, what can I do with this ticket? Blah, 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 blah. You know? And I'm like, well, I'm going to be in Fiji in about three weeks, you know? Um, since your car was still running and you had to run in, you know, he's like, dude, here's my phone number. I'll be there. Look me up. Call me. I'll make sure you get taken care of. Just deal with this ticket. And, right. and I'm like, okay, you know what? And he gave me his number. He gave me the number to the island, all of this stuff. And it was Scott Funk. Okay. And um, so fast forward three or four weeks or whatever, I'm in Fiji. I'm like, I got Scott Funk's, I got Tavarua's. This guy said he was going to hook me up. I'm going to call him on it. So I call him up and I'm like, hey, how are the waves? He's like, oh, it's not very good. It's kind of crappy, blah, blah, blah. So he kind of just like, didn't come through on his end. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, and I went out there and I did. You can't, at that time you couldn't surf cloud break unless you were invited. And so I surfed Nemotu and Wilkes and all that. And um, that's my story. Oh, okay. That's kind of it. Sorry, yeah, yeah. it was a letdown. No, but, no, no. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of in that story. Just well, using your position of power. That's like, the yeah, part that no I have deal, a problem dude. with. Yeah. There's well, no it is a big deal. And I, again, I made I made it right. I made amends to the people yeah. that needed to be made amends. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, good story, man. Way to recover from not delivering that other story. <laughs> I appreciate you giving me something. Yeah. All right. The back story of that story is that I got stuck on Fiji, forgot, didn't return home. My visa went out and all I had left was a Fender Stratocaster guitar and a, and a credit card that was overdrawn. And I begged some Australian guy to buy my Fender Stratocaster. Wow. He gave me like he goes, I'll buy it for you. He bought me a round trip ticket to Australia. And I arrived in Australia without a penny to my name and an overdrawn credit card. But they let me into the country. What'd you do? Did 
I find food and to get by. I I hooked up with a I had a connection with a guy in Del Mar from a guy who lived in Del Mar who knew some of the people I knew. Yeah. He let me stay in Cronulla for like a day. Then I jumped on a train and went up to the central coast of New South Wales to Terrigal where I had I had some roommates in Del Mar that were from Terrigal so I was set up to stay there and I got a job as a waiter there and yeah. I worked there as a waiter. Yeah. Yeah, see, I um I don't know what it's like to rough it. Like I, number one, I'm very grateful for the position that I've been born into, which by the way, is middle-class white kid in Southern California. Like there's not a lot of better situations to be born into. And why do you like Kanye? Uh, I don't. I thought you were a Kanye lover. Not at all, dude. I hate Kanye. But so, but I also recognize like, I need some, I need some vulnerability, dude. I need to like rough it a little bit. I need to like get exposed. How old are you? 34. It's way too late. I can't rough well, it. You're right on. Well, you could start, but you've kind of, you got to rough it when you don't know you're roughing it. Right. Like when you're 24 or like yeah, 22, yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah, I'm just stoked to be here. You know, right. now that you've been around the world, you're like, I need the four star. Totally. And that's <laughs> the thing is, even if I go around the world and rough it a little bit, I know that not only do I have credit cards or whatever to get by, like if I need to, I can go check into a hotel, but I also know. I've got a cell phone that has everything that I, I I can contact my parents and they'll get me out of a bind if I was ever like I've never been without a tether, you know, Yeah. Um, which, again, I'm super grateful for. Yeah. But I also recognize like the type of uh, <laughs> char- like how you really develop character is by going through some stuff, man. Yeah. And I really haven't had to, which I'm grateful for. Well, but you've got plenty of character. Your parents have instilled a lot I of character guess. in you, so I you guess. don't need to develop it. I needed that. Thank you. Feel much better now. This show just spiraled. Okay, until next time. <laughs> with we'll, David, with Proden. David Proden from the WSL. Yeah. Um, adios and aloha. He's a one who all our pretty songs and likes to sing and likes to shoot his gun. Don't know what it means. Don't know what it means to love someone Surfsplendorpodcast.com is the website Go there to see everything that we discussed in this episode As well as an archive of all past episodes Feel free to leave a comment in the comments section uh, With any thoughts that you have on this show and I'll make sure to engage with you there. Find us on social media at Surf Splendor. And also, as always, just share the show with friends. That helps our show grow. And if you want, actually rate and review the show in iTunes or whatever podcast app you listen in. That also really helps the show. Helps other people to find it, basically. You've been hearing me say that for years. And it has worked for years. So thank you. Let's keep it going. All right, I think that's it for now. I'm going to enjoy my vacation for this next week, and then uh, I'll catch up with you, I guess, towards the end of June, right at the end of June, right at the beginning of July. All right? Enjoy your time. Enjoy the ocean. Get out there. Catch a couple waves. Shred on.